Hello everybody, just before we start, I should probably mention that I'm basically recording this podcast in two halves. I'm recording the first part of it now because I'm going to go out in a little while. So I might not be able to record it all at the same time. So I'm recording the first half now and recording the second part of it later when I get back from where I've got to go. So for whatever reason, the two parts of the podcast sound a bit different for one reason or another. That is why. But anyways, I hope you do enjoy the second episode and let's get it underway. Hello everybody and welcome to the second episode of the Hyundai A-League of Their Own podcast. Sorry, I should just say the A-League of Their Own podcast. And this podcast, as you probably would have worked out by now, focuses on all things happening in the Hyundai A-League. And it is available on many platforms such as Spotify and Anchor, as well as Google Podcasts. But yeah, you can listen to this on many other many other platforms. The support that I got from the first episode was really great. Good to hear some feedback and I've got some questions to answer as well. And... Yeah, pretty similar episode to last week, and one new segment will be debuting, which you'll hear in a little while. But other than that, it's pretty much the same thing as last week, really. Not too much to, not too much to say other than that. So let's get things started with press conference. So this segment is the part of the podcast where I answer your questions. And remember, you can give me, if you have any questions or any, you know, comments or anything or feedback, you can let me know on Twitter at Roboto360 with a capital R. That's R-O-B-B-O-L-D-O 360. Or you can let me know on Instagram at H-A-L-Pod36 or lowercase. I've got two questions to answer this week, so I'll... um talk about those now because I don't want to um I want to get as much done before I go out so I gotta I gotta get a move on here all right so the first question is again from Mason who gave us a question last week about Bruno Fornaroli and this week he says I had concerns over how hard Kianese had to track back to support the three at the back during Glory's week one fixture do you think teams with explosive wingers will see him being overworked and subsequently take away from his attacking ability this season now, before I answer that question, he has got a podcast called A Not-So-Wild Podcast, which, which focuses on the Perth Wildcats and all things happening in the NBL. So if you want to go listen to that, I highly recommend it. It is a good half an hour, 20-minute podcast to listen to if you're into basketball, which I know I am. And the second question this week comes from Jordan Barbas, whose Twitter handle is JB23. Actually, I think that's right. Let me just double-check that. Oh, got my phone. Yeah, his Twitter handle is JB23, so capital J, capital B, obviously. And his question says, Hey, Tom, big fan of the pod. Would love to know your thoughts on the young players in the league and who you predict to become a star, possibly even go overseas. I'll start with Mason's question first, and then I'll get to that. So he talked about... Mason talked about Joel Chianese having to track back to support the back three. 
against Brisbane Raw. And whether I think explosive wingers will see him being overworked and subsequently take away from his attacking ability this season. Um, I had an issue with um, with Keynesia having to track back this week as... Not in the Brisbane Raw fixture, sorry, but in the um, Western United game. And that's something that I'll talk about a bit later concerning that game. But as for the Brisbane game, I do agree with you. Keynesia did have to track back a fair bit. And I don't think he's the right man for it. I think Ivan Franich does a better role of that than he does. As for other wingers who have to who have to um who see him being overworked, I do think that, that will be a problem. And yeah, I think it will take away from his attacking ability because Joel Kinesi is a decent player, but I don't think that he's as he's like I don't think he's like a very good player. I don't, I think he's a good player, but he's not at the at the calibre of some of the other wingers in the league, such as such as Elvis Kemsomba, Nicklin Lyuznich, or Chris Economides, or Andrew Nabu. Well, I don't know, I just don't see him as one of those as one of those big players. So I reckon yeah, he will be he will definitely be overworked from some of those other players. I don't think he has the pace or the defensive ability necessary to be able to track back and support the three at the back. That's just my opinion. However, when it comes to attacking play, he is a good player, for sure. But yeah, I do think he will be overworked and that will take away from his attacking ability. An answer that was short and sweet. Not more, not much else to say other than yes, I do agree with you. And yes, it will take away his attacking ability and he will be overworked. Because three at the back doesn't always work, remember, so those wingers have to drop back to support their defence such as Keanese attempted to do against Brisbane. But yeah, I think that's something he's definitely going to work on. Pace is a thing that he's got to work on, in my opinion. Anyways, on to the second question, which, as we mentioned, was talking about young players in the league and who I predict to become a star and possibly even go overseas. So, you, there's a f- I guess the first way to look at this question is looking at other players who were made in the A-League and have gone on to do big things for their careers. Such as Mila Yadinak, Matthew Ryan, Danny Vukovic, Jamie McLaren and others who basically started in the A-League and now play overseas. Or even Aaron Moy as well. I think he started with Western Sydney, then Melbourne then Melbourne City and then now he's in the Premier League. So yeah, the A-League is definitely a good platform for young players to take their careers abroad and in the case of, yeah, and in the case of Jamie McLaren to even return home for a stint in the A-League again. The A-League is definitely a platform for young players to get some exposure and it will lead them to bigger things in the future. And it, what helps as well is how a lot of the A-League clubs have um, are aligned with other teams around the world. So, for example, Melbourne City, uh, obviously owned by Manchester City, which is obviously one of the biggest clubs in the world. <laughs> like, how could you not say that about them? So I, get, I reckon that Man City owning Melbourne City definitely gives Melbourne City and the A-League as a whole a lot of exposure because they're owned by such a massive club. And, yes, yeah, so that's just talking about Melbourne City. But, yeah, I, I mean, and you look at also the marquees who attract all the all the fans to the A-League.
Like you look at guys like Del Piero, Dwight York, um, even Best Up Barisha, those guys who get a lot of eyes onto the A-League. And also that's a chance for them not only to see those big names in action, but also these younger players. If that makes any sense. I don't know if I explained that too well. And some young players who I predict that will be big stars in the A-League. And go overseas. Hmm. <laughs> this might be a little bit of a a little bit of a bias or a little bit of a stretch, but I'm actually gonna say the Popovich brothers are two examples. They Christian and Gabriel. I haven't they haven't played much A League football, but I've seen them in preseason and also in when Christian did get a chance in the A League, they've both they both look really good and I reckon they have um proved some doubters wrong, especially with that goal from Christian against Western United, which I'll touch on later. And I don't think it's nepotism, Tony Popovich playing his sons instead of some other players who perhaps deserve it more. I don't think it's nepotism at all. I think he's playing them because they definitely deserve to play in that squad, whether it be for preseason, a game against Man United, or, you know, an actual A-League game. I reckon those two, two examples of young stars who could could go into bigger things. Um, who else? Who else? Hmm. Elvis Cam Somba's another one. As I mentioned him on answering Merson's question, he's one of the most explosive wingers in the league. And... He's got speed for days, honestly. He's fast. He's agile. He's he's most of the time always the first to get to the ball. And he is probably one of Melbourne Victory's best young players and probably one of the league's best young players, which is why he has been playing for the Burundi national team a fair bit recently. Another young player who I reckon could be pretty big... Hmm... Let's see. I don't know if he's, like, young. But I'm going to say Brandon O'Neill from Sydney FC. Uh, Centre-tracking midfielder. Def- definitely, without a doubt, one of their best players. And he's bounced around some of the A-League clubs. So, and he's and he's definitely proven time and time again how reliable he is, getting many assists and also a few goals of his own. He is one of the league's best playmakers and definitely a key factor in Sydney FC's championship win last season. So he's another player who could um, who could get pretty big. Oh yeah, and another one. I forgot to mention him. How could I forget to mention him? Liberto Kakashi. Liberto Kakashi. Don't know if I pronounced it right, whatever. He is also another player who has impressed me a lot. He is a very, like we were talking about, wingers tracking back to support the back three. That is one of the things that he is really, really good at. His pace and also his, um, how should I say this, his defensive abilities make him the perfect man for the job. He's only 18, I think. Oh, I don't know if he's 18, but he's pretty young. Um, and I think he definitely deserves a look in, in the near future, possibly even a European team. Don't have to be a big European team, obviously, like a Premier League team, but I reckon he definitely deserves to go play some football overseas. And I reckon that he's probably one of the best wing-backs in the league. And he's definitely a young player who's on the rise, and he's proven that time and time again. And he, as I mentioned last week, he was one of 
he was one of Wellington Phoenix's best players against Western United. And he... And I put him in my team of the week as well, last week, so... There you go. That's just um, That just proves how good he is. So... Um, yeah, so there's some of the young players who I think could make it big. So the Popovich brothers, Brandon O'Neill, Liberta Kakashi, and Elvis Cam Somba. They're just my opinions. If you guys have any young players who you think are going to be pretty big in the future, just let me know down, down in Twitter and Instagram in the comments. Or DMs or whatever. Don't even know what I'm saying anymore. But yeah... Uh, that was press conference. Don't really know if I um, uh, gave a good explanation there, but anyways, let's move on to a new segment now. Alrighty, this segment is called The Big Issue, and it's literally just where I talk about football's biggest issues and events and it doesn't necessarily have to do with the A-League either and this week we're talking about something that has divided the football world we are talking about VAR my least favorite thing in football I'm kidding I don't really have a solidified opinion on it anyways for those of you who don't know what VAR is it is it stands for video assist video assisted referee at least I think that's what that at least I think that's what it stands for <laughs> Might have to check that. I think it's video assisted referee, something like that. But anyways, basically what it is, say if a goal is scored or a handball in the box, something like that, it's literally just like DRS and cricket. They'll double check the decision and then they'll, you know, whether they think it's the ref- the decision could be overturned or it could stay the same. And a lot of people are complaining that it does delay the flow of the game. Like you might have to wait like five minutes for a review to come through or even longer than that. Examples of this include in the World Cup, um... The A-League is happening a lot now. The Premier League as well. Almost every major league in the world has VAR in operation now, which I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if it's a bad thing either. I'm still kind of divided. But anyways, um, a lot of people have their opinions on it, including the players and managers of the game. I'm gonna. So basically what I'm going to do, I've got some quotes here. I'm going to have a look at the ones that don't agree with it and the ones that do agree with it. First of all, the people who are against VAR, I've got two quotes here. Mauricio Pochettino, Tottenham's manager, <laughs> um, sorry, Tottenham's current manager, probably might be ousted in a little while. He said this after Tottenham beat Rochdale 6-1 in this year's FA Cup in a replay of the fifth round. He said this, The first half was a little bit embarrassing for everyone. I'm not sure that the system is going to help. I think football is about emotion. I'm for technology, but be careful not to change the game and kill the emotion. My worry is we're talking about a machine and not football. If we're going to kill emotion, it's not so happy what we have seen. My opinion is we have the best referees in Europe. The referee is the boss on the pitch and has the last word always. I I agree with what he's saying. The VAR does kill the emotion of the game. Like when you, okay, let's keep a hypothetical situation. Say, um, okay, yeah. Let's use a real example, actually. A real example of hypothetical circumstances. Oh, sorry. Hypothetical consequences, I should say. (laughs) Okay. 
So, everyone's probably heard of this. The 2011-2012 Premier League season comes to an end. Sergio Aguero scores that last-minute goal to give Man City the title and to snatch it off United at the death. What if they had VAR back then and they double-checked for offside and then they didn't give it and Aguero's gone up and taken his shirt off and celebrated like a madman as of every Man City fan in the place? That would... The VAR review took five minutes and then they gave it a goal that would kill the instant emotion and satisfaction and passion that the football fans feel whenever that goal goes in the back of the net. That's what I'm talking about, and that's what Pochettino's talking about here. How it can kill the emotion of the game and kill the the, the instant celebrations and the euphoria that comes with scoring a goal. And Sami Kadira shares a similar sentiment. He says that football is about emotions. Now players don't know whether to celebrate a goal or not. That is the death of football. Like I just said, I agree. Football does kill emotion. And about referees being the boss, I completely agree. The referee... The referee is the boss. And whatever they say should go. They shouldn't have to review it. It's their job to make the rules and to judge the decisions. Not some tacky review system providing all these problems for the game. It should be the referee's choice. As for the people who are for VAR, we've got two players who have said some interesting things on VAR. Yannick Balassi said something before it was introduced in the Premier League which really stuck with me. He said, I can see the benefits and I especially see it helping non-footballing people see how the game can work and why certain decisions are made. Now, I I do agree with that. VAR is a good chance for the fans to see how how football works and why certain decisions are made, Definitely. Say, for example, if an offside's given, they'll be able to see why it was given an offside. And especially now with the fact that that you can hear what the refs are saying in the VAR booth as well, the communication with each other. Like the A-League, they've done that. They've actually let the um, viewers in on what happens when they make a VAR decision. So, yeah, I definitely say... I definitely agree with Balassia here. It, it does help in the sense that um, casual football fans or even people who aren't familiar with the game know about decisions and why they're made. As for Coutinho, he said a... He said something similar to Pochettino, but he agrees with VAR. He said, you have to remember referees are competent people doing their job and VAR is there to help them. I actually... Hmm, do I agree with this? Referees are competent people doing their job and VAR is there to help them. I do agree with that. Because like... Like Pochettino said, like I just said, the referees are there to do their job. And whatever they say should stand, but I guess VAR can be used to help them, you know. They're not so certain about a decision, they'll review it. Fan backlash has nothing to do with it. If they're not sure about a decision, they will review it. It's not just for the sake of, you know, um, angering away fans or fans who are behind or could have gone in front with that goal or it could have been the winner in a World Cup final and the, the country's fans might get upset. Um, personally, this is what I think about VAR. I think that the referees, the boss, wherever they say should go, I think VAR could be useful if it took a lot quicker to review. That's the one problem I have with it. And I do think that VAR is not there to help 
that VAR is there to help the referees, but they don't really need the help if they've already made a certain decision because regardless whether they make it or not, at the end of the day, it's just a football game. It's not life or death. It doesn't matter what the fans say. It doesn't matter what a review system says. It's their choice. So I think I'm more to the negative side of VAR. The only two problems I have with it are that it doesn't help the referee to make decisions and that it does delay the flow of the game. But that's enough about VAR. Let's move on to a segment discussing everything about my favourite team, the Perth Glory. It's time for another edition of Bound for Glory. Alrighty, so as I just mentioned, this segment is where I talk about the Glory's performance from their last fixture. And this week I'm going to be talking about the game against Western United, and I'm also going to give my player of the match my one to watch, my analysis of each individual player and how they performed, and also my five takeaways. Now this one was a battle of the new boys on the block versus the reigning premiers, and this game was set to be an intriguing contest and a star-studded affair. First along with the ins and outs, Ivan Franich, Tommy Michella and Chris Harold were all included, with no notable absentees for the glory. For Western United, Aaron Carver and Brendan Hammer were promoted, while Valentino Yule, Apostol... Apostolos Stamatelopoulos and Luke Duzo were all still unavailable. The glory started with a very similar structure last week. Liam Reddy was once again the man between the sticks. Osama Malik, Alex Grant and Gregory Bothrich all kept their spots in the back three. Juan Day and Kilkenny started the midfield. Kianizzi stayed on the right flank and Kim Subyong came in for Brandon Wilson who wasn't even listed on the bench. Diego Castro once again started in the central attacking midfielder role behind Chris Economides and Bruno Fornaroli. And the bench contained Tando Velafi, Jacob Tratt, the Popovich brothers, Dino Jorbic and Chris Howard in a team almost identical to last week. A notable absentee though was Ivan Franich, but it was obvious that Popovich was just keeping him fresh for the game against Wellington away. Although I do still have a problem with it, but I'm going to talk about that in a second. But Kianese and Tratt were obviously keeping that spot warm for him. And to be fair, they did a decent job. One thing to note though before the game started, the Glory actually played in their training kit as apparently their regular kit was lost in transit in their Qantas flight to Melbourne. Or to Geelong, sorry. Interesting little mix up there. But hopefully the change in kit wouldn't throw them off. I was very, very excited for this one. So let's get on with the uh, little a little recap here. Don't know how long this will take. Probably shouldn't take too long. The Glory, in my opinion, looked great early on, had a few good chances. They had good build-up play, but just couldn't convert, and they were slowly working their way into this one. Western United also showed a few fas- a few flashes of brilliance, though. In the fifth minute, Alessandro Diamante did a sensational no-look through a ball to Josh Risden, who, who passed it back for Conor Payne, who crossed it into Bessart Barisha, who was being pressured by three Perth Glory defenders and couldn't finish. Western United started gaining momentum as the half went on and created a few really good chances which came off the back of some phenomenal build-up play. The Perth Glory looked far and away the better team in the first 20 minutes or so, so there was a really good chance for them to score. And one of these chances came when Diego Castro bolted forward from the United box. He could have passed it through to Chris Economides on the wing, but he chose instead to tab it through for Kianiza, who would have been one-on-one, but he couldn't get to it. In the 32nd minute, Chris Economides whipped it in after some brilliant back-and-forth passing from him, Juan de Diego Castro and Joel Chianese. A free header for Bruno Fornaroli was presented, which he should have put away, but Philippe Curto is able to hang on to it easily. 41st minute, a corner, which Neil Kilkenny whips in. 
Vothridge gets his head to it and the ball bubbles around the box but a free kick is given after offside and the corner amounts to nothing. And then at halftime it was nil all. Here were my thoughts at halftime. The Glory looked absolutely dominant in this first half. They had a lot of good chances and one or two that really should have been put away. United were able to string together one or two chances of their own, but the Gloria defence did very well to contain them, including Juan Zane, Neil Kilkenny, as well as Diego Castro, who did, a, who did a good job of keeping Diamante relatively quiet. I was very pleased with our first half and was eager to see how the second half went. Alright, now let's have a look at what happened in the second half. The 40th minute of the ball was put over the top and Pangiotis Kone hit the volley first time from a tight angle, but it rolls out. United look a lot more confident in the early stages of the second half. In the 49th minute, Scott McDonald cuts it back for Kone, who's outside the box. He has a crack and it goes top corner, 1-0 Western United. Nothing the glory could have done about it. It was a great goal and I can't really complain about it. In the 55th minute, Alessandro Diamante played an amazing through ball for Risden, who crosses it in. Connor Payne tried to take a touch over the two glory defenders covering him, but it goes out for a corner, which results to nothing. And then in the 58th minute, Diamante again has a crack from a fair way out. Reddy makes a sensational save as it goes out for a corner. 60th minute, Bessart Brescia heads a goalwards. Liam Reddy gets his fingers to it, but it goes in. And it would be 2-0, but it was given offside. VAR didn't check it. So Perth kind of got away with one there. 76th minute, cross in from Chris Economides and a header goalwards, but Curto saves it as it nearly spills out for a Perth rebound. 68th minute, Bruno Fornaroli tries a shot from just outside the box, but it's an easy save for Philip Curto. 74th minute, a ball is crossed in. Barisha and McDonald both have a chance to tap it in, but they both just miss it. Another great chance wasted for Western United, which you think would put this game to bed at this point. Although maybe not, as in the 76th minute, Neil Kilkenny puts a great ball into the box and Christian Popovich rises up and heads it in for the equaliser. Great build-up play and a great goal for the glory. one all. 78th minute, a thumping shot from Dario Jertek rolls across the ground, but Reddy is able to make a save. In the 85th minute, things started getting a lot more tight and a lot more nerve-wracking for me. <laughs> Dylan Pieris was played through, and he's one-on-one with Liam Reddy, and he goes for the chip, and it looks as if it's going in, but he hits the crossbar. Very unlucky to not go 2-1 up there in the late stages. And in the 89th minute, Chris Howard hits a low shot towards the left corner, but it just misses the fingertips of Curto as it goes as it goes out. Three minutes of added time and it was still anyone's game. And in the 93rd minute, the Perth Glory had a free kick. Last chance to get the winner, you think. And it's crossed in, but Western United clear it and it finishes one all. My thoughts at full time. I thought this game was a tale of two halves. The Glory dominated the first half and had many chances, but Western United still had a few chances of their own and still put together some great build-up despite not having the better of possession. In the second half, however, the glory were on the back foot as United looked threatening. There were one or two good chances at the end that put me on the edge of my seat as it looked like they'd get the winner. United were the better team in my opinion, but the glory did really well to fight back. Chris Harrell, Jacob Tratt and Christian Popovich all got some action and all looked pretty good in this game. And it was very entertaining from both sides and I reckon United are truly a force to be reckoned with this season despite being a new team in the league. The final score of this game was one all. My player of the match... It was tough because I don't think there were too many players who like were standouts. I've decided to give it to Diego Castro though. Um, my one to watch based off this game, Osama Malik. And now for my performance of how each player went. 
Um, starting XI, okay, Liam ready. Um, really good game from him, made a lot of good saves, was probably one of our best players, was never phased in goal, ne never um, shied away from any chances, even when, um, you know, uh, what's it called? Oh yeah, even after Kone scored that goal, which he couldn't really save because it was um, sailing into the top corner, he still, you know, kept on trying to make all these saves and trying to make himself big and trying to get in the way of the ball whenever it came towards him, and he did. Very good game from him. Number four, Gregory Vothrich. He wasn't quite as good as last week, but he still made many good interceptions and tackles, and I think he's still getting used to playing in the A-League and the level of competition over here, so that's fair enough for him. Number 13, Osama Malik, my um, one to watch. He had a pretty good game. He was probably our best player at defence. He had a chase with Barisha at one point where he was beaten, but then he got back to make a great interception before Barisha could strike the ball. Number two, Alex Grant, was an absolute rock in defence. Nothing got past him, was always the first one to win those headers and was able to clear the ball with ease. Number 12, Kim Subyom, had a few good chances to cross the Crossed the ball in, but those crosses weren't exactly up to scratch as they would go to the Western United defenders. He He's another player who's still getting used to playing the Alex, so I can't really fault him too much. He's still got a bit of work to do. Number seven, Joel Chianese. Don't think it was his best game today, honestly. He had a few good like little moments where he had some good passing on the wing, as I mentioned before. Um, he put a few balls in, but I don't think it was his best game overall. Um, the two central midfielders, Juan Daniel Kilkenny, had both had pretty good games. They um, were great in their roles of starting most of the attacking opportunities and also getting back to defend. And yeah, as I mentioned, they did a really good job of containing Diamante and Kone. Maybe not so much in the second half, but in the first half, definitely. Number 17, Diego Castro. He was basically the man where all of the attacking play was going through. He created a lot of good chances for us and maybe should have passed it off once or twice. Um, but I'll talk about that in just a second with my takeaways. Chris Economides had a really good game again. Um, he looked really lively again, um, had a few chances, just couldn't convert, put a few balls in, showed, did some great skills on the wing to get past the defenders, created a few opportunities, but certain people couldn't convert them, such as Bruno Fornaroli, who didn't have his best game. He's still getting used to playing in the air. Like, I can't really complain. I will talk about that in just a second, though, with my takeaways, but... Yeah, Bruno Fornaroli still got a bit of work to do, if we're being honest. And the bench players, Jacob Tratt played really well when he came on. Had a few, put a few good crosses in, but people just couldn't get onto them. Chris Harold, uh, he looked okay. He looked a little bit sluggish and a bit unconfident at the start, but he slowly worked his way into the game. And Christian Popovich played really well, especially covering for Juan Day. Um, he's got a burst of speed and agility which he uses to his advantage as shown by that header when he raced in front of the Western United defender to get on the end of that Kilkenny ball this kid's going to be huge I'm calling it <laughs> alright my five takeaways now um, number one the bench players work a treat as I mentioned Jacob Tratt and Christian Popovich both played brilliant games uh, both I guess you could say hidden weapons for the glory um, they both created a few chances of their own and made some really good passes. Despite not getting that much football 
last season. And obviously Christian Popovich scored the goal, so that's obviously a good thing. But yeah, really good games from both these guys. Number two, Castro's high standards. Now, <laughs> actually, no. Before we go to that, let's let's just talk about the other. One. Uh, let's just talk about Fornaroli for a second. Takeaway number three: Rust still shows Bruno Fornaroli. Okay, this is not the same Bruno Fornaroli. He looks a shadow of his former self. He's still obviously he hasn't played Alec for a while, so I get it. But like he, he's gotta find a way to improve. Like, for example, the free header, he really should have put that away. The Bruno Fornaroli of four or five years ago would have buried that top corner and it would have been 1-0, but he's like he's still got a bit of work to do, obviously, but I think he's a long way off his former self. But obviously, it's still early days, so you never know. Um, takeaway number two. Let's return back to that. Castro's high standards. Okay, so I get that Castro's a marquee player, probably our best player at the club. He's been great for us, but, but, <laughs> he kind of, in my opinion, I think he expects way too much of the other players. Like, for example, um, when I mentioned that chance when he was bursting through the midfield and then could have passed it to Economies, but passed it to Kianese, who couldn't get there. Straight after that opportunity, he was, like, reprimanding um, Kianese for not making the correct run. When he was making the run through the middle, because he expected him to pass it to Economides, he would have whipped it in, and Kianese would have got there in time. But I think Castro does expect, expect too much and doesn't always deliver himself. Like in the grand final, he had like 15 chances in the grand final, which he just couldn't couldn't bury. But I think Castro expected a bit too much of the um of the other guys. But he's still still a quality player, though. Can't really fault him on that. He just needs to um. You know, take it easy and let the other players just do their thing. All right, takeaway number four, Frangic selection dilemma. One problem I have, I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Frangic needed to be selected for this one over Jelki and Easy. This was one of our problem areas. Jacob Tratt did really well when coming in for Key and Easy, but he's, as I mentioned, he does not have the pace and the defensive ability necessary. Frangic has the pace and he definitely has the, uh, the defense locked down if you put Frenich in there he can play as a winger and he can also play as a wing as a uh, like as a you know just a fullback so I reckon he'd be the perfect man for the role and then you have Jacob trying as a backup you know what I don't actually think if Keane Easy wasn't there we'd still be fine like we've still got a lot of depth in this squad as I mentioned I'm not saying get rid of Keane Easy but I'm just saying Frenich should be put over him because he's definitely the better player and final takeaway, a worrying trend. So, this has been a thing since the since the Brisbane game. We have really good first halves where we absolutely dominate but can't convert, and then the second half we kind of drop and we just don't. We just look. We just um get really tired in the later stages of the game and just drop off and let the other team get back into it. What more can I say? It's a problem that we got to fix. Don't know what else to say to be honest. We need to keep the intensity going after the first half. And that's why games are won. Games are won in the full 90 minutes, not just the first 45. So that's always that's been a problem area so far this season, and hopefully it's one that gets fixed. But we're going to go to a break now. And this song is from The Stroke, and it's called Thread of Joy, one of the newer songs from the 2016 EP, Future, Present, Past. 
And when I come back, the podcast might, like the audio might sound a little bit different because I'm going to go out in a little while. So I'm going to record up to here. And then when I come back, we will move on to the second portion of the podcast, starting with a recap of the rest of the week's action. See you in just a second. So now it's the second part of the podcast. So now let's have a look at the results that happened around the league. We'll start with the um the latest game, the one that happened just not long ago. Uh, this was the uh, Sydney Wellington game. At, um, yeah, actually, I'm I'm not gonna lie to you. I didn't watch this game, so I don't really have a good recap for you. But um, anyways, so. The Wellington Phoenix actually dominated this game. They were down to 10 men after Liberta Kakashi got sent off. Um, which actually happened in... Which actually happened later in the game. And the goal scorers, Brandon O'Neill and Ryan Grant... Um, give Sydney FC the 2-1 win. Now, this isn't a really good recap. Um, and Davila scored for Wellington Phoenix. Uh, so, Sydney won 2-1 and looked good heading into their game against the Wanderers. Not really a good recap there. I didn't watch it, so I can't really speak too much on it. So, let's just move out of that one and move on to the other games. So, Melbourne City versus Adelaide United. Melbourne Rectangular Stadium. So this was two teams who couldn't grab a win last week. City drew with victory in a derby where either team could have won. And Adelaide's defence let them down next week. Oh, sorry, last week against Sydney. Despite pulling two goals back and Sydney having a little help from VAR. And this one was a preview of the FFA Cup final, which takes place Wednesday, I believe. So the only notable exclusion for Melbourne City was Florin Berenger, who is recovering from a hamstring injury. Jamie McLaren and Dennis... General were back in the squad from international duty. For Adelaide, Ryan Strain was out due to suspension and Jordan Elsie was out with a knee injury. But James Troisi and Mikko Boland were both promoted, so that's two huge inclusions for them already. Similar, similarly to last week, Adelaide's defence looked woeful and vulnerable. And Najarin struck the post for City inside seven minutes, but City would indeed find the back of the net 15 or so minutes later. In the 23rd minute, Jamie McLaren continued to stellar form for the Socceroos and he trans- transferred over to Melbourne City by controlling a deflected Connor Metcalf shot and poking it past Paul Izzo, 1-0 City. Four minutes later, he was at it again. He thumped home a volley from close range to get his second inside the first half an hour, 2-0. Melbourne City kept on piling the pressure against an Adelaide defence looking in all sorts. This game so far really belonged to them. Not too much else to say about the first half's action, to be honest. My thoughts at halftime for this one, Melbourne City were far and away the better team. As mentioned, Adelaide's defence did not look together and they were a complete copy of their defence last week. But the second half should have been better for them. And it was, as they improved immensely and much, pretty much like last week against Sydney, it was more of the same story for them. They were able to get one back in the 67th minute thanks to Riley McGree after City failed to clear a corner. And Adelaide kept on fighting, but the two-goal lead City built in the first half looked too much for them to get to. This one ended 2-1, and it was a good game as a preview for the FFA Cup final. 
Adelaide really picked up in the second half compared to their shambolic defensive display in the first. Jamie McLaren was on fire for Melbourne City and could easily be one of the favourites for the Golden Boot this season if he keeps his form up. Anyways, the FFA Cup final should be an intriguing game. Will City be able to continue their brilliant display they showed or will Adelaide shock them and win their third FFA Cup and their second in a row? We'll have to see come Wednesday and yes, I'll give a recap of it next episode. Alrighty, moving on to the Central Coast Newcastle game. This one was an F3 derby. Um... The Mariners welcomed back both Matty Simon and Ruan Tongik, while the Jets had no new inclusions for this F3 derby. In the fourth minute, Jordan Murray was bolting through the wing. He whipped it into the box, and Milan Jurek It's a beautiful volley from the, into the far corner. It was a sensational strike and great build-up from the Mariners, 1-0 Central Coast. Newcastle stru- started building their way back, not giving the Mariners an inch. Mark Birogidi wasn't too phased in the first half, despite having to make one save from a Nick Fitzgerald shot. The Mariners threw their bodies in the way of plenty of Newcastle attacking pressure, not letting them get a sniff of the goal. The rest of the first half went predominantly to the Mariners, who had an expert defensive pressure and poise in order to keep their goal mouth shut after taking that early lead. This game was looking to be another entertaining F3 derby. Halftime came and it was a score of 1-0 to the Mariners at the break. My thoughts at halftime of this one, I thought that the Mariners had the upper hand at halftime. They, as mentioned, threw their way in many Newcastle chances. Newcastle were kept relatively quiet in that first half with that one chance from Fitzgerald, which was saved by Birigidi. Newcastle had the majority of possession, but the Mariners were a lot more determined and are slowly looking a lot different from that pathetic excuse for a football team they had last season. But anyways, they definitely look a lot stronger this season thanks to some off-season spending, but this second half should have been an exciting one. The second half started in a much in a much different manner than the first, with plenty of chances, including two great ones for Central Coast in the first few minutes. With Milan Juric almost bagging a brace with a free kick that would have brought the house down, forcing Glenn Moss to make a great save. And their second good chance saw David De Silva weave his way through the Jets' defence and pass Glenn Moss as the, Jet defender, as the Jets' defenders could not do anything about it, but they were able to eventually clear it off the line before it could go in. In the 53rd minute, a handball by Giancarlo Gallifuoco in the box, so apparently that was awarded to Newcastle. Dimitri Petrado stepped up and Glenn Moss saved it. However, VAR got involved and the replay showed that Moss was off his line before Petrado struck the ball, so a retake was in order. However, this time Dimitri Petrados buried it through the goal. For the goal. 1-1. Many chances came and went, with both sides desperate to get that winner, but who else but Milan Juric, who had a great game, had a chance in the final minute. Juric belted the ball goalwards from 25 yards, who hit the post and, s- and the ball stayed out of the goal. Very unlucky. This game ended 1-1. My thoughts at full time. The game should have gone the Mariners' way. They looked the better team in this one. Milan Juric had a fantastic game with many chances. Newcastle looked good at times, but their attacking play was denied only by the brilliant defensive determination of the Mariners. And this was a great derby, in all honesty. Alright, and the last game that... Oh, sorry, well, the first game that happened this weekend, but the last game I'm going to review, Melbourne Victory versus Western Sydney. So they were looking to get more out of this one than their draw with City last week, but they were facing a Wanderers side coming off a win against a spirited Central Coast side who were looking to shock the victory this week. The ins and outs. So the victory had attacking firepower at the, at the hands of Kenny Atihu, who returned from international duty, but was still without Robbie Cruz. The Wanderers, on the other hand, had, had Kwame Yaboa returning from injury, but without Tarek Elrich, who was injured in last week's game against the Mariners. 
In the first minute, the victory had a really good chance where Ola Toivonen headed the ball in, but his shirt was being pulled. However, no call from the ref was given an advantage was played. The rest of the first half was pretty even with chances going both ways, but a really good chance came in the 20th minute where Alex Meyer hit an amazing volley which hit the underside of the bar and fell in. Very similar to Dunich's goal last week for Central Coast, but the goal was denied as a free kick was given to the Wanderers. It would have been an amazing goal there. 21st minute, Pim and Schwiegler takes a free kick. Matt Yeoman rises up to head a goalwards. It hits the post. The rebound wasn't turned in and a massive chance was wasted for the Wanderers. They were unlucky. Just after 30 minutes, Elvis Kansomba was set free after some sloppy work at the back for the Wanderers. His shot was saved by Daniel Lopar, who was a brick wall and goal for the Wanderers, except for the penalty, of course. In the dying seconds of the first half, Daniel Georgievski is brilliantly on the wing to get past Corey Brown, and he crosses it in, but Meyer heads it wide. Um, at halftime, I thought that this was a very even first half. Alex Meyer was a standout for me in this one, as he had one or two great chances, and as we now know, those would soon pay off. The victory looked a bit unsteady defensively, in my opinion, but the Wanderers were no saints in defence either. Pretty even first half, and I was very eager to see how the next 45 would play out. More of the same to kick off the second half, and a massive goal came not long after the whistle to kick off the first half. In the 52nd minute, Nick Sullivan lobbed a ball over the victory defence towards Mohamed Adam, who cut it back for Kino Bacchus, who unleashed on his right foot, sending it top left, and the Wanderers fans into raptures. Not a good defensive showing by the victory, 1-0 Western Sydney. After that first goal, the Wanderers looked more confident and livelier, similar to last week after that Mitchell Duke header, and I could definitely tell the Wanderers were in... Sorry, the victory were in strife defensively. And not much later, they capitalised on another poor victory defensive display. 62nd minute, a Wanderers through ball was being chased down by Storm Roo, my choice in right back for Team of the Week last season, just remember that. There is confusion between him and Lawrence Thomas, the victory goalkeeper, as it spills out towards Alex Meyer, who was about 30 yards out, and he lobbed it first time as it went sailing into the goal. Brilliant goal, this. 2-0. And victory looked all over the place. The Wanderers only got better from there, as victory's defence was a shambles, but in the 72nd minute, Ola Twervenen converted the penalty after a handball to give the victory fans at least some hope for being able to pull it back. 2-1. Victory then lifted the intensity and kept on fighting for a chance to get back in it, but it wasn't to be with the Wanderers running away 2-1 winners at Melville Stadium. Alright, so now for my um, full-time thoughts. The Wanderers fully deserved this win. They lifted the intensity in the second half, and it definitely paid off. The victory did not have their best night defensively, and it reminded me of how Adelaide played last week. Yes, they got a goal back, but I don't reckon they quite deserved it. Just an honourable mention, Daniel Jojewski, he played really well and for me was the man of the match. He made a lot of dangerous runs on the wings and did well in covering the space for Mohamed Adam and Kwame Yibawa when they were too far up in attack to help out defensively. Western Sydney should be very happy with their performance and the victory should be disappointed. One thing in my opinion they have to work on is man marking. As you can see at times they weren't fast enough to get back and put pressure on the incoming, ta- incoming attackers. And they left key players open such as during the backers goal. And I saw shades of this last week against City in the Derby. However, a great game of football and a great result for Western Sydney have looked like a serious threat so far. Alright, so now it's time for me to give my team of the week. So, um, yeah, you could say it's a pretty, pretty uh, different team this week. Uh, a few players who popped up last week. But it's a bit different. 
So the manager I've chosen for this week is going to be Steve Corica from the from Sydney FC. Actually, no, it's not. Sorry, it's going to be Marcus Babel from Western Sydney Wanderers after pulling off an amazing win against the victory like that, which they dominated in. Definitely deserves it. Goalkeeper, I've chosen Daniel Lapa from Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, he was a brick wall, really. What more can I say? Right back, Ryan Grant from Sydney FC. He scored the winner and he had an amazing game when he was returned from international duty. Centre-backs have chosen Andrew Durante and Nikolai Topol-Stanley. They were at the forefront of their team's defensive efforts. Especially the um, Jets against the Mariners. I think Topol-Stanley was one of the key players in that one. And I put Daniel Jojewski in left-back, even though he's a right-back, but I thought I really had to include him after his display against the victory. He had an amazing game. And next I've put in right mid I've put Ulysses Davia. After that after the goal he scored for the Phoenix against Sydney. And he had an amazing game. He was continuously from what I heard, I didn't watch it obviously. From what I heard he had a really good performance, so I put him in the team. Centre mids, I've got Alessandro Diamanti and Milan Juric. Um Diamante was everywhere against the glory. Like, really, honestly, he was. He made plenty of really good passes. And he was just... He was the heartbeat of their team, really. He was the one who got them that one-all draw. He was their best player. He was the best player on the ground from both teams. And Milan Jovic scored an amazing goal. One of the few chances, especially the one towards the end there. He's improving, and he's definitely adapting well to early football. Left men have gone for David De Silva, the youngster who did play for the Glory at one point. Um, similar to Chris Conamides, he played a similar role to him in that game against the Jets. He was pretty much everywhere, creating a lot of good chances on the wing. Had some had some involvement in that um, Milan Druic goal and plenty of other chances they had. So, and nearly scored one of his own if it weren't for the Jets defenders clearing it off the line. So, good game from him. Strikes have gone Alex Meyer and Jamie McLaren. I've chosen Alex Meyer because he had a great game against the victory. Had a few chances including what would have been an amazing goal and what was an amazing goal in the volume of the chip. And I've chosen Jamie McLaren because he scored two. How could you not include him for scoring two against Adelaide? He had an amazing game. And I hope he continues like that in the FA Cup final midweek. <laughs> So now it's time for my pictures and predictions for those of you who don't remember. Um, I basically made my predictions for each of the fixtures and then I I um, make a pitch, which is something that I want to happen or that I think will happen. Then each week I look back and see how I went. Alright, yeah, so let's have a look at last week's predictions and pitches first. So, Melbourne victory over Western Sydney, I predicted 3-1 to victory and the actual result was 2-1 to Wanderers. And I, my pitch was all Toivonen to get two assists. And he didn't get any assists, but he did indeed score a goal. And then in Western United against the Glory. The Glory, I predicted them to win 3-2, but the actual result was one all. And I predicted Bruno Fornaroli to either score or get a score involvement. And neither of those things happened. Central Coast Mariners in Newcastle, I predicted 2-1 to, to the Jets. It was one all. Should have been 2-1 to the Mariners, in fairness. And I, my pitch was that Dimitri Petrados would either score or get an assist, and he scored a penalty. So that's one right pitch. 
Melbourne City v Adelaide, I predicted 1-0 and it was 2-1 to City, and my pitch was that either Nick Lillius not sure Riley McGregor will score, and, and Riley McGregor got one back for Adelaide. Sydney v Wellington, I predicted 4-1 to Sydney when it was actually 2-1. My pitch was that Barbaris would score two, and he didn't score any. Alright, now to um, this week's game. So, Brisbane Raw v Melbourne victory at Suncorp. I'm going to say... The Raw, obviously, they didn't have a game this week. They're still sort of like getting their heads around playing with each other because they've also got a new team and a new manager. And the victory haven't had the best start. They haven't won in their first two games and they've only got one point to show for it. The victory really needed this win. And I think it's acceptable if the Raw lose one because coming up against a really strong opponent. So I'm going to say the victory are going to win and I'm going to say 2-1. Yeah, 2-1. Newcastle v Adelaide. Uh, the story of two teams who had difficult games this week and also last week. Adelaide got two losses so far. And um, it's been a case of terrible defensive displays for them. And Newcastle, they... They were... They were... They were the game against the Mariners was pretty even, but I reckon that... The Mariners were the better team. And, yeah, I think Adelaide will probably get the win here. And I'm going to say... I'm going to say... I'm going to go for a 1-0 win to Adelaide away from home. Next one, the Sydney Derby. Western Sydney v Sydney. Two teams who are red hot at the moment. The Wanderers have been playing really well recently. And have been unstoppable with two wins against the victory and Central Coast Mariners under their belt. And you know what? Sydney have been pretty good too. They've got two wins as well. I'm going to say... You know, I'm going to go for a... I guess we call this an upset. Right. I'm going to say the Wanderers to win. And I'm going to say 2-1 for this one. Being a bit more cautious with my score lines here. The next one, the Phoenix and the Glory at uh, Wellington Regional Stadium. I'm going to say the Glory are going to win this one. Both teams really need a win here, but I'm going to say the Glory, if they can have a good second half this time at least. I'm going to say 2-0. 2-0 to the Glory. Next one, I guess you'd call this a Melbourne Derby, Western United versus Melbourne City. Two teams who have been doing pretty well so far this season. Melbourne City with a draw against Victory and then a win against Adelaide. Two tough teams, and then Western United with two, no, with a win against Wellington, and then a draw against the Glory. Gonna, oh, I'm gonna say a two-two draw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna regret that one, aren't I? Anyways, so Brisbane v Victory. Um, my pitch for that is Andrew in a boot to get an assist. Newcastle v Adelaide. My pitch for that is um, oh, what's it called? Riley McGree to score again. Western Sydney Wanderers v the Sydney FC. Our prediction for that one is no, sorry, my pitch is um, what's it called? What's it? Mm, Alex Meyer to get both goals in a two-one win. Uh, Wellington v Perth. I'm going to say Bruno Fornaroli will finally get off the mark in this one. I hope that's the case. He'll get his first goal. And in Western United v Melbourne City, I'm going to say Diamante to score and get an assist. 
in a 2-2 draw. So those are my predictions and pitches. We're pretty much nearly done for this episode. We're going to get another the break. This song's called Rocky's Late Night by Albert Hammond Jr. That's Albert Hammond Jr. I don't know if I said that right. And we'll be back in just a moment in what has been a rather over-the-place, all-over-the-place second episode. It's been rather out of sorts, but anyways, <laughs> we get to keep rolling on. We'll be back in just a second. Dad to say, we roll on the Everett, I feel what I do today. That's it for the second episode of the A League of Their Own podcast. You guys can follow me at Twitter and Instagram at Roboto360 and HLPod respectively. Sorry, HLPod36 respectively. For any topic suggestions, press conference questions, segment suggestions. And also let me know what you think of the new intro and outro. You can find the podcast on Spotify and heaps of other platforms. And as always, each episode will be very similar to the previous one. And if you want to watch the A-League, you can watch it on Fox Sports OK. Or if you don't have access to either of those platforms, ABC show a Saturday night game on Fred Air TV. And also, make sure you go check out the Not So Wild podcast. And that's it. I'll see you guys next week. Chris Economides takes out right where he left off. A tapping for Lafondra. Sydney double their lead. Duke.